Right, good morning my brothers and sisters. Last weekend we witnessed the joy of fellowship here on Saturday night. God's children, all of us from different walks of life, who would ordinarily probably not know each other. Laughing, joking, dancing, eating and relaxing with one another. Gladdening the heart of our Heavenly Father because what parent does not enjoy seeing their children happy? Even more so, our God in heaven, Father God, who paid so dearly with the blood of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that we may come to him as sons and daughters of the living God. Call him Abba, Father. And if only we accept who we are in him, rest in those strong, loving arms and have a heavenly hug, an everlasting embrace and be held by those hands that flung stars into space, by the lover, lover of our souls, be enveloped by grace. When we yearn for him, we learn from him as we seek to see his face. How the Father's joy must have overflowed the next morning, Baptism Sunday, as he watched Noah and Lucy Graham and Noah Watson inviting him into their very souls and Fliss, Felicity making a Holy Spirit-led last-minute decision to live for Jesus, surrendering all in the redemptive waters of baptism. Following on from Cephas and Titus who were baptised the other week in the flowing holy water of the river Darent because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So, seeing the joy felt by all the families, and indeed all of us, you can only imagine the face of Father God. And as we celebrated, so did the heavenly host. Let's get grounded in who we are, people. I know we go on about this, but it's such an essential truth. Accept it. It's important. You are sons and daughters of the living God, princes and princesses, and your heavenly Father is also your King. He is all-powerful, and you walk in his authority as his children. You are also his ambassadors, showing the ways of the kingdom, his love to a harsh and hurting world. You are the light of that world. Don't let those lights fade. You are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your taste. For you are, as said in 1 Peter 2, 9. It's all right, I will ask you to turn to a scripture a bit later. But if I had you going to all the scriptures that I run through, we'd be half an hour finding them, I think. So, you are a chosen people. As, and this has been spoken and mentioned a couple of times today already. That's the Holy Spirit for you. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Celebrate. Let your joy overflow. For as it goes on to say in the same uh, chapter, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hallelujah. God is great. Good news, good news. But as we are reminded by the memory verse that Katie has been teaching us, and boy, it is important. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, together with the Apostle Paul telling us in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And in Ephesians 6.18, further on, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Then you can run with purpose in full armour, the enemy's darts falling by the wayside as you continually keep praying. Now, I'm not going to go on about spiritual warfare today as I did as I did that some weeks back. But why do you think we are urged to run with endurance endurance, sorry, and to put armour on? Well, endurance is needed if something is going to be hard or testing. And armour is needed because we shall often be shot at. So you have to be spiritually fit and protected. You are, after all, a Christian soldier and your enemy is predominantly out there. Look at that Christian brother a couple of weeks back. Mohammed Koroma was his name. He was out there handing out gospel tracts when he was stabbed to death. What's more, going by his name, Mohammed, it sounds as if he came to Jesus maybe from Islam. That would make him even more of a target for the enemy. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is war and there are casualties. And now he is with Jesus. And yeah, Lord, I I, I honour that man. I honour him. But as that... But as the soldier of Jesus Christ, your captain, because soldiers we are, you have endurance, armour and prayer as your weapon. Praying in the spirit at all times, that's your staying in contact with your heavenly hotline to God, the commander, and all of us praying for one another is, if you like, covering fire. That is why... Prayer before going out to do evangelism or any form of outreach is so important. In fact, before anything and everything, it's like the barrage before the attack, the softening up of the enemy positions before a fresh offensive. Now, hold on. I'm getting waylaid again, getting stuck in those trenches about spiritual warfare. Well, the reason is as it may be, today I am going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, which it might you may not see the connection at the moment, but I'm hoping that will become apparent. The fruits of the Spirit, which are manifest in the kingdom of light and will be seen 
amongst us who have Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let us then bear that fruit, the good fruit of the true vine. But if the vine is defined as true, it follows that there is also a false vine. Oh, sorry, my voice went. There is also a false vine that bears bad fruit. The followers of the way versus the bad fruit found in the kingdom of darkness with its leader, you know who? The devil, the father of lies and his henchmen and his ways, the demons, the world and the flesh. Think on it. God is our heavenly father. The devil is just the father of lies. In Jesus, the victory is won. So we need not fear, but the children of wrath, which once we were, they believe the lies of the devil. We've got to tell and show that what he and his world says just isn't right. The fruit of the Spirit is the result, I believe, of following the Beatitudes. Act as the Beatitudes, I believe Jesus' standard sermon, state. Then you will see fruit. Then after the fruit, the miraculous will happen. Just like with our Derek. With his swallowing and eating problems after that stroke. It is his intimate relationship with the Father and time spent seeking him with an attitude of worship and adoration and his faithfulness that pulled him through. Now that's fruit. We should all take a leaf out of Derek's book. So the fruits are what? The good fruits this is. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, you know it's a well-trodden path, but let's hear it again, because they're so good. We are told they are love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, patience, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But let us not forget Earlier in the same chapter, we are shown the acts of the flesh, which are at war with the gifts of the Spirit, which will lead to bad fruit. Yes, some are way out there, while others are quite easy to fall into. 
They are in Galatians 5, verses 16 to 18, where we read, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are at conflict with each other. So as you are not to do whatever you want. And then verses 19 to 21 we read where they are listed. The acts of the flesh are obvious. They are sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And Paul says, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, and now this is me. Yes, and the enemy is happy to use these things and the outcome can be seen, bad fruit, which is seen in the opposite kingdom like hate, despair, for love, hate, for joy, despair, for peace, angst, for kindness, cruelty, for gentleness, meanness, for patience, impatience. For gentleness, harshness, hate. It's right, I've lost my place, as you can tell. Hold on. I looked away, this is troubling me. Anyway, the outcome can be seen bad fruits, which is cruelty, meanness, impatience, harshness, disloyalty, and indiscipline in place of self control. We will look at the good fruit we have available to us from the glorious vaults of heaven. Then we will look at the bad fruit of the devil and the weaponry he has available to him in his somewhat meagre arsenal compared to what we have in Christ. Drawn from the flesh, the world and his vile nature. Now, the good fruit of the kingdom of light is the result of following God's commandments. They are the icing on the cake of righteousness. You cannot describe them as weapons. They are the visible outworking of the Christ lover's faithful heart. They are a reward for good Christ-like character, emotions, and obedience to his call, knowing his voice. Jesus came that we may have life in abundance, like pressed down fruit, poured out and overflowing, the very best wine. However, the devil takes character and emotions and manipulates situations and weaponizes them. He uses them to destroy where he may. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. He has been a liar from the beginning. He started in the Garden of Eden 
and he continues to this day. God showed me that as he breathed life into our lungs at the beginning in creation, we are to breathe in the wonderful fruits of the Spirit prophetically as oxygen. Bear with me. As they are mentioned to govern in our lives. Then when we come to their opposites, we are to breathe them out like carbon monoxide, poisonous and harmful to our lives as they are. So I will ask you prophetically with me, if you will indulge. So the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Breathe in. The love that we desire is not the watered-down version of the word we liberally band about today. We glibly say, I love that film, I love pizzas, or I love that Facebook post. It is used both constantly and impotently. The Greek word used here in Galatians is the word agape, the most potent form of the word, denoting that perfect sacrificial love that Jesus showed us as he willingly went to the cross. Even though at times it terrified him, as it did when he literally sweated blood through his skin in the garden of Gethsemane. Just as we lost our way to God in the Garden of Eden, Jesus strengthened his resolve to make a way back to God in the Garden of Gethsemane. Did we deserve it? No. Yet there he was for you, for me, for our eternity. He set his face and the next morning upon that cross, he died. Thank you, Jesus. Now that's sacrificial love. We are told to love in the same way, sacrificially. Of course, don't forget the good news. He rose again. Hooray! When we look at John 15, verses 9 to 17, please turn now. Now, now in this passage, Jesus uses various forms of the Greek word agape. Let us read, read it using the Greek word agape as it is meant to read instead of the English word love. Mind you, for us to keep jumping between languages may be confusing. Well, for me anyway. Let's use what it means in the English translation. Unconditional, sacrificial, perfect love. So we read, don't forget, this is Jesus. Now picture the nuance 
in his eyes. The love, as he says, As the Father has loved me unconditionally, I have also loved you unconditionally. Abide in my unconditional love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my unconditional love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his unconditional love. This is my commandment, that you love one another unconditionally, just as I have loved you unconditionally. These things I command you, that you love one another unconditionally. Wow. And note, to love is a commandment, not a request. Jesus also said elsewhere, you will know them by their love for one another. All this takes time and patience, and I believe gets easier with maturity. Just like physical fruit takes time to grow, the fruit of the Spirit will not ripen overnight. As we mature in our faith, all the characteristics of our spiritual fruit will grow as well. And when you struggle with it, loving, that is, come to Jesus, for it's all about the one. If it's unforgiveness blocking your love, pray about it, just you and him. Or if you would like someone to stand by you in prayer, ask a trusted sister or brother. If it's sin blocking your love, the same thing. Seek God, repent, pray about it. You can see where God's priorities lay in Matthew 5 when Jesus tells us in verses 25 to 26. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and it comes to mind that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there. Go first and be reconciled with them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, he doesn't want your gift if you're not loving your brother or sister. Our loving one another is far more important to him than your gift. Besides, everything belongs to him anyway. And if he wanted it, really wanted it, truly wanted it, which he does to honour him, but not under these circumstances, he could just take it. So the point here is to teach us then. Anyway, how can you give with a joyous heart, which we are asked to do, if you are holding something against someone, even if that someone is yourself. In 1 Corinthians 13, also known as the love chapter, often used at weddings, but applicable in everyday life, we read, and this is the whole chapter, but I'll be quick. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of the wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. But now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these things remain. Faith, hope and love but the greatest of these is love. Love is foundational to everything. It is the first fruit of the Spirit. Without it, as you see in the scripture we just read, you can have none of the others. It is the spring from which all the others flow. Patience and kindness are mentioned by name in that verse. And most of the others are alluded, alluded to as well. It is also, as we see in the verse, love is a shield against the acts of the flesh in Galatians. The means to keeping the Ten Commandments, avoiding sin, achieving forgiveness. And without it, whatever gifts you may possess are but the fruitless branches of John 15. I remember that encounter with that being in Croydon that I had. Maybe an angel. I've seen a few of those. Maybe Jesus. What I do know is that the name he gave me, Merdi, means either gift from God or messenger along the path, depending on the spelling of the name. You remember the story. I'll be quick. He told me it was all about the one and showing them love. The bunch of roses he bought me, I offered to pay for, for, thinking he may be homeless, but he insisted paying, saying, I've already paid the price, and to keep the receipt as a sign that the price is paid, saying, here's the bunch, and I love the bunch, the roses, that is, then pulling one out and give it to me individually, saying, It's about the one. Love the one. Then I held his hand. Yes, I did. And walked with him. A Middle Eastern custom, I'm told. He wanted me to walk with him a while and talk. Then I mentioned Jesus to him. 
and he said, Jesus is lovely and he loves you. Then he asked me to go and eat and drink with him, but I said I was busy and turned to walk the other way after embracing. Then, as I turned away, I changed my mind mid-movement and turned around in an instant, but he had disappeared into thin air. How I regret turning away, but what I have been left with is a profound sense of his love not just for me, but for every single one of us. Even those out there who don't know him, even the ones in our families and friends that don't yet know him. He loves them, they are his children, and he still desires them. He desires that none perish. Anyway, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and shall have eternal life. Jesus is love. A gift given to you which is to be cherished and shared. Come to the water, my friends. It's alive and it's overflowing. This leads us to the opposite, to love, the bad fruit, which is hate, the first weapon in the enemy's arsenal. Now, conversely, we are allowed to hate that which is wrong, to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. God does. Listen, in Revelation 2.6 we read, This is to the church in Ephesus. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here, what Jesus hates is heresy, against which we we too must stand. Though in some areas of the church, it is being drip-fed in subliminally to appease the masses and being accepted as the norm, like things surrounded marriage, for instance. Stand firm. In Proverbs 20, verse 23, it also says, The Lord hates dishonest weights, and dishonest scales do not please him. Are we straight in our giving, our tithing, or our time and service? This seems a hard word in Luke 14. We are told to hate even our own lives. Family, if, if we wish to be his disciple. But what is meant here is that if necessary, we must forsake all else to follow Jesus. Not literally that we hate our family. Thank God we are not likely to have to do that though I can give testimony to the fact that once I had to walk away from my wife to follow Jesus. She and other members of my family thought I had gone mad, but God was working his purposes through the situation. And look at her now. A life redeemed and restored. Thank you, Jesus. 
There can be no half measures. You cannot afford to sit on the fence, for even the fence belongs to the devil. And when Jesus walked the earth, in the flesh that is, if you went against the Pharisees, you would likely be turned against, not only by the religious establishment, but also by your family. Otherwise, you could be barred from the synagogue and, well, your place of worship. And if, as many are, you turn to Jesus from Islam today, you risk persecution, being disowned or even killed. And what of the Christian martyrs who will not renounce Jesus' name, even though it would save their lives? They cling to life eternal because it's far more important than this shabby suit that we have on now. This is what hate in your family looks like. We are to pick up our cross, whatever that may look like, and follow him daily, forsaking all else. So apparently sometimes it's good to hate. But the hatred, the bad fruit of the kingdom of darkness is this. It is a malevolent and vengeful, rotten and corrupt, the hatred of Joseph by his brothers in Genesis that saw him cast into a pit, the hatred that saw Cain rise up and kill Abel, both these things caused by jealousy, one of the things from the acts of the flesh in Galatians. Then in 2 Samuel we see another sexual immorality which caused Amron, Amnon, to rape his sister Tamar. Then the contempt which led to hatred. Listen. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. The love mentioned here must have been eros, sexual love. Not that it makes it right, but she was his half-sister. Then in verse 22 of the same chapter we read, Then Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Later on, Absalom sets up Amnon's murder, his hatred caused by vengeance, which to our minds may seem fair. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Then this chain of events, this weapon of hate, later causes Absalom to plot against his father David. Maybe because of David's perceived lack of strength in the matter at dealing with Amnon. And this, of course, in turn, led to Absalom's death. The devil must have rubbed his hands together at this chain of events. This fruit is not just bad, it's totally rotten. Do you remember being really hateful ever? I do. When I was a little lad, about five years old, is the occasion that stands out. It was my birthday and I awoke to find all my presents had been opened by my dear sister. I was enraged. I told my mum and all she did was gently scold her and tell her to say sorry. 
Then there was a knock downstairs on the front door. Now this is terrible, but hey, I'm being honest. The postman delivering birthday cards for me was at the door. My mum went downstairs and answered the door while my sister and I stood at the top of the stairs. She was in front of me and I was so overcome by hatred and perceived injustice and anger that I pushed her headlong down the stairs. Thank God she was okay and we love each other dearly now. It could have been so different. A terrible memory. It really is. I'm not going to finish on something bad. I promise you. Jesus said, we also are to expect hatred because we belong to him. The hatred of the world is upon us because the world belongs to the kingdom of darkness and its ruler, the prince of the air, Satan. But, We are told in Matthew 5, When people rebuke, revile and falsely accuse you for my name's sake, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And in Matthew 10, 22, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Thank God. Now I want you all to think on any hatred from the past or if unfortunately it may in any way shape or form cling to you right now any resentment any grudges and I want you to exhale them as we and then so let's together breathe out hatred anger grudges And inhale deeply, deeply on our next thing, which is joy. Breathe in. What of joy, the second fruit of the Spirit, or gladness of heart as it is described. In the Greek, it is chara. Yet again, there are different types of joy. Chara is a deep joy that we need, body, mind and spirit. It is not the quick fix joy that is found in receiving the latest iPhone, which is soon out of date, or a sudden windfall, which is great while it lasts, but is soon frittered away. Nor is it the temple joy of Matthew 13, 20, the seed sown on stony ground, which is received with immediate joy. But then trouble comes or persecution comes because of God's word. Having no root, that joy dies. The fruit of joy that we seek is this. We should be able to display the joy of knowing Jesus. I'm not saying that we should smile at all times. That, for most of us, just isn't how it is. As it says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. For if someone is in deep distress, smiling and laughing isn't showing any compassion. It's not going to help help them at all. Then in Ecclesiastes 3.18, we read that this is only the verses that are relevant to this talk. So I've left out that which isn't. 
There is a time for everything, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. But we've been going through one of those lately with COVID and everything. A time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for face uh, for peace. Let's face it, some of what is in these verses is very good news and worth absolute joy, but some is sad. And although the joy of blessed assurance abides within us, it is not appropriate at times. Let the Holy Spirit lead us. After all, Jesus wept at seeing Mary and Martha crying because of their brother Lazarus was dead. When within him, he had that resurrection joy. He knew the end result, that Lazarus would come back to life. But for their sake, he showed compassion. As should we, even though we know, we too shall someday partake in that resurrection joy. We, in the same way, should shine his light. For we are the light of the world. Don't forget, Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, he's the light of the world, but we are too. Remember, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Quite simply, this is why we should feel joy. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that is what I call ripe fruits. Praise God. We're nearly there. Very nearly. Now then, that's what I call good. Then in Isaiah we read, So the ransomed of the Lord shall return, that's us, and come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. That's our Jesus. And that 
there, my friends, in Isaiah, in Isaiah, is what we have to look forward to. Praise God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, I got far in that, didn't I, with the fruits of the Spirit? I hardly touched. <laughs> but I'm well and truly out of time. Thank you for bearing with me. Well, that's it, people. Another sermon with a to be continued sometime heading. Next time, we will deal with the opposite of joy, but we will pull Paul theirs. Pour there on the good news. Now, breathe in that good joy of fruit into your lungs.